Anyway, I wanted to talk to you, to you about some stuff that goes on in, that's going on in South America. Because we always like to find out. Now, apparently, we've got uh, a renewed search for a 17th century treasure galleon. And, and... Um, Venezuela continues to be in absolute crisis. Joining me now is John Bonfiglio, Latin America correspondent. John, how are you? I'm good, Andre. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm living the dream. Living the dream, baby. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's been, it's been a perfect Valentine's for me. I've spent all day working up for the talk radio TV YouTube channel and all night working for the radio channel. So, you know, only what you would expect from me. Brilliant. Okay. Good, good work. Okay. So tell me about 17th century treasure galleons. Um, so this is one of those stories, I think, that is a number of different stories in one. I mean, the first one is just the boat. So the boat sank in 1631. It was like, uh, you know, 400-odd years ago now. Um, and 400-odd years, my math is terrible. Sorry. Just under 400 years ago. It's coming up to the 400th anniversary uh, of the sinking of the boat. It was the biggest flotilla at the time to be leaving uh, Latin America, headed back to... Uh, headed back to Europe and carried huge amounts of of gold and has achieved something of a mythical status at, at this end, at this side of the the Atlantic, because people have been searching it for it for for God knows how long. The main vessel of which that sunk was a Nuestra Señora de Juncal that uh, was carrying about 150 tons of gold and and silver. And so the, the news really that's hit the headlines internationally at the moment is that. Spain and Mexico have agreed to search for it again, and they think they, they know um, where it is. I mean, for sure, you know, like I was saying, it's a, a vessel of mythical uh, proportions, but as far as I can see, nobody um, has ever known where it is, and I don't see that they're any closer to knowing where it is at the moment. So really then the story is, why has it been announced now that speculatively that people, I mean, basically the story is people go out, people are about to go out to look for boat is the story. I suppose um, what what might be the case, it may well be that um, as a result of concerns about people scavenging, the the Spanish government and, and what be later became the Mexican government know more about the location than what they've ever publicly admitted. Yeah, possibly. And that's certainly the public line that they're giving, is that they want to actually train a whole new generation of underwater archaeologists to give the tools to Latin American nations by which they can actually have the people with the right skills to go and, and um, get ahead of the game in terms of finding these wrecks with huge amounts of, um, you know, gold and, and bullion, etc. To, to my mind, that gives a lie to the story because, you know, these things aren't exactly easy to land. So even if, you know, pirates go out there and find this stuff, it's not like you can exactly, you know, land it through a back channel and then... Um, and then put it in your bank account. So I think they're just saying that. I think the real story here, um, if you look at it from a from a political perspective, is actually that the new government in Spain, the socialist government, is is um, adopting a kind of an ameliorative um, policy towards Latin America and is trying to build partnerships there. So really, what I see that's taking place here is actually the boat that sunk in the search of the boat is really largely irrelevant in a broader context in which Spain, which is obviously the the the, the 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 state, the country of empire in a Latin American context, a little bit of Portugal as well, but largely Spain, is actually, with this government, is trying to rebalance its way of doing business uh, with Latin America, and this is basically a pretext. It's a, it's a metaphor, really, for this reimagining of the relationship. Well, of course, the reason why there's 150 tonnes of gold and silver on board this thing is because it had been stolen 
from South America. That's that, that's true of most of these boats, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and also the reason why this boat so so if, we can add stealing onto stealing onto stealing because the reason why the boat left in October of 1631, which is any you know any self-respecting captain knows, is hurricane season here in the Gulf of of Mexico and the Caribbean, is because they knew that the the, the pirates weren't going to get to them then because no self-respecting pirate is out on the high seas in October. So it was their attempt to avoid it being stolen again, which meant that it was sunk. Yeah, and of course, this goes back to something that's quite traditional for Britain, because we had what, what we called privateers, who were government-licensed li government pirates. They weren't considered pirates because they were government-licensed, who just used to sit in the Caribbean attacking Spanish ships and stealing this stuff. So actually, when you talk about pirates robbing the boats, the pirates were normally British sailors who were licensed by the British government. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's basically where I'm sitting now talking to you. So this boat, the, the Nuestra Señora de Juncal, left from Veracruz, which is in the eastern, you know, that was a major port in eastern Mexico, uh, which is where, where Cortez landed, etc. I'm a little bit south of that, but actually in, in really shallow waters in the lower Gulf of Mexico. And this is where both Dutch and British um, privateers, Cortez, hung out. And actually, contrary to popular opinion, um, uh, when uh, authorities, when military came along to try and chase these pirates away, they didn't go out into the high seas because they had lighter vessels with shallower keels. They actually went inland. They took to rivers and went upstream to get away from uh, from the powers that be. So this whole area that I'm talking to you from at the moment has a, has a, a lot of um, you know myth, mythology, legend telling about people being genetically linked to pirates. Every football team or baseball team is. Is, uh, has the name pirate in it, etc. So the the history and the mythology of it is very present here. And you were talking about the relationship between the Spanish government and their old empire. Obviously, you know, a lot of British listeners um, will will you know that will resonate with them because obviously we have the former British Empire, the the, the Commonwealth, and, and so on and so forth. Um, how how are relations between Spain and its former colonies? I think it really depends. Um, I mean. The, the Spanish government now is is left of centre under uh, Pedro Sanchez, but it was, you know, up until recently had a long-term uh, popular party right of centre government in in place. Ordinarily, that um, the 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 PP, the popular party, had a more um, kind of um, I guess traditional relationship with Latin American countries, in which they would be it would be very much kind of top-down um, relationship. And I'm not saying that. Actually, previous socialist governments in Spain had a different relationship, but certainly this one seems to be to be trying to do things a little bit differently. Uh, there was a major um, blowout recently where, uh, coming up to the 500th anniversary of... Um, I mean, there's lots of different anniversaries coming up now mm -hmm. in terms of uh, 500 years, because obviously Cortes arrived in, in uh, 1492 and then in a number of different places around around that time. But Andrés Manuel López Obrador, the Mexican president, recently said that actually rather than celebrating the 500th anniversary, it was an opportunity for Spain to apologize, which caused a lot of cackles, obviously, in Europe. Uh, I mean, again, this, you know, this plays out whether it be in an Australian context or in a um, Native American context about the, the, the rights or wrongs about apologizing for things which happened that, um, that long ago. But that certainly caused a major rupture, uh, rupture in, in, in relationships. And so it's brought, I guess, the kind of rawness of this old imperial relationship, um, colonial relationship, um, to the fore, and I guess this, the Spanish government at the moment are just trying to, you know, dampen down these these controversies. Because the other the other point that it's important to remember in this context is, 
you know, these things actually mean something in this day and age. It's not just uh, just shouting across the water because Spain and Latin America still have a really massively significant economic relationship in terms of exports, exports and import, imports. So um, the the two-way flow of goods and and money is is really massively significant in the same way as it is, you know, in a, in a UK context. Um, with you know your likes of um, India, Pakistan, a number of African countries, etc. Yeah, and 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 also there's a slight there's another slight difference which, okay, it might be a myth, but this is my understanding that obviously when you're talking about uh, people in India or Pakistan, um, yeah, you know they were ruled by the British and that may or may not have been a good thing, but. You know, Spain colonized Mexico. You know, many modern, most modern Mexicans are descended from Spanish settlers. And so, because my, my understanding is that when we brought over coronavirus to, um, to South America, they didn't have it before. And because they had no immunity, huge numbers of people died. And so, you know, it's, it's very easy to be critical of Spain. And I'm sure, you know, you can make good points against them, but it is your heritage as well. If you're Mexican. Yeah, I think and I think you're you're right. And I think there's two significant differences between um, the Spanish Empire, say, and the and the and the British Empire. I, th- I think you're you're right to say. I mean, I'm not saying that there wasn't necessarily, you know, naked sexual aggression in terms of the colonization that the, the, that the British Empire did, but certainly there is now in modern day Mexico and modern day Latin America much more of a genetic mixing than you would get in a in a sort of British colonial colonial context and the other thing which is markedly different is that also spain evangelized like spain um exported catholicism with uh with a stick and a sword and didn't give anybody an option to not do that whereas um britain didn't quite do that in the in in the same way so that is a marked difference as well in terms of the um the the contemporary links uh or post-colonial post-imperial links across these countries and how that how that sits differently um, day to day in a in a modern context. Yeah, I suppose that that is interesting. And and what is the legacy of apart from the obvious one? What is the legacy of um, of that um, Christian mission, uh, the evangelical side to the Spanish Empire? Well, I mean, I mean, Latin America is massively Catholic. It would be the the first thing to to say about that. That even where um, so right across the the continent, the the Catholic faith um, rules strong, and it's actually one of the reasons why, um, when Bolsonaro took issue with, took umbrage with the Pope over the course of the last few days, because the Pope said that the Amazon was a world heritage site, if you like, and we all needed to look after it. And Bolsonaro very much regards it as being a Brazilian um, Brazilian responsibility, and, and and Brazilian in, in the context of, ex- of its of his extractionist policies. Um, that that's why it, that made such a, a big splash in terms of the news here because he was basically taking on the you know the religious leader that is recognized right across latin america because um the pope basically has his his seat here in latin america as um somebody said recently uh, in, again in a bolsonaro context they said but the pope is argentinian and uh, and bolsonaro said he may be argentinian but god is brazilian Oh, I love that guy. I love that guy. Well, okay, okay. Let's get on to uh, Venezuela. Um, so apparently, uh, they've taken, um, they've they've arrested the uncle of what's his name, Juan Guiado. Is is he is he the the president that was recognised by Donald Trump? Yes, he is. So he is the 
He is a self-declared president that is recognized by about 50 countries, and then, um, and he's kind of right of center. He's, I guess, the kind of insurgent, um, and he's just uh, returned from an international tour where he met Boris Johnson. He regularly meets uh, Donald Trump. He was received, he was given a, an official state visit in neighboring um, Colombia. And then on the other side of the fence, you've got Nicolas Maduro, um, who is largely responsible for generating um, political situation, political and economic situation of disastrous proportions uh, in Venezuela at the moment, to the extent that Venezuelan statistics are not used in Latin America anymore because the economic disaster zone that, and hyperinflation that is Venezuela at the moment is such an outlier that it knocks the rest of Latin America off kilt. Goodness so it's me. not being used. So in it, a, makes, it makes, that, it makes, it makes the, the continent-wide statistics basically misleading because it is such a Sorry. basket case. Yeah, it absolutely. It skews them completely, so they're not they're not being used in that context. So you've got Nicolas Maduro on on the other side, and uh, we, I mean we've been I know we've spoken a little bit about this when 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 you've been on and I've been on, but essentially this has been running on now for for a period of time, and it's just one of those situations where both sides of the equation just get more and more uh, ridiculous. I guess the key point is is that I mean the news story at the moment is that Guaido's uncle has been arrested for bringing in uh, in inverted commas dangerous materials into Venezuela on a flight, despite nobody saying what those materials were. So the when they, when they say materials, are they talking about books or Semtex? I, I mean, it could be anything. Look, I, I've heard that it could be a sort of Semtex thing. I, I would suspect that that's really very unlikely. I mean, you know, people who are in the opposition in Venezuela know not to give the authorities any excuse to arrest them anyway. I suspect it's probably something as trivial as maybe some controlled medical substances Something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm very much. I, I, I suppose. I suppose what I'm driving at, obviously, when you say, um, you know, unacceptable material or dangerous material or whatever, um, for us that could mean either a book or or, or, or kind of semtex or whatever. Um, in the Spanish language, uh, is there a differentiation that, that becomes obvious? Um, not. Not. It totally depends on what they say, and they very specifically haven't stated what it is or even right. an angle of what it is, which just makes me think that it's something really trivial, but it's basically just a, you know, it just steps over the line um, in a really trivial way, and they're just using that as, as an excuse to arrest the guy, to second him to wherever it is he, he is at the moment, and obviously the end game with this is continuing to put um, low to medium pressure on, on Guaido in terms of his, in terms of his day-to-day, -day, um, and to dissuade him from you know, continuing in terms of him putting pressure on, on Maduro, but they're emphatically not um, arresting Guaido or actually putting direct pressure on, on Guaido because they know that to do that would actually invite uh, potentially serious international reaction, which ultimately they don't want. But Juan Guaido, I mean, okay, having your uncle arrested has got to be frustrating and upsetting and worrying for the family. But I mean, this is a guy who stood up at the American States of the Union address as the Venezuelan president. He's not going to back down over the arrest of his uncle, surely? No, he's, he's not going to back down on the, on the arrest of his uncle. I mean, he's, 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 he's on a travel ban, but he's coming in and out of the in and out of the country. And I think it's, it's kind of a catch-22 both for Guaido and, and Maduro at the same time because they both know that actually they're in something of an impasse, that there's not really much that one can do to the other until something, you know, something big shifts in the ether in the context around all of this stuff. But nothing really significantly has shifted over the course of, you know, the last year or so. Guaido does have the support of the U.S., but Maduro has the support of China um, and, and Russia. 
Uh, Guaido does have a lot of popular opinion on his side, but Maduro's got the military on his side and has just um, co-opted three and a half million militia as well into um, subsidiaries into the military as well. So he's even strengthened his hand in that in that regard. And there's no you know there's no chinks in the armor of of either side as as, as things stand. And obviously, meanwhile, your your average individual on the street just is looking at both sides going. Please, can this somehow get better than it is? Yeah, but the, but the problem here, and I, you know, well, actually, I'm going to take sides. The problem is that Nicolas Maduro is a genuinely, genuinely awful, awful political leader. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's, you know, which, whichever side of the political spectrum you're, you're on. I mean, Chavez before him, who was, you know, he is Chavez's acolyte. Uh, Chavez was genuinely, again, whichever side of the political spectrum you're on. He was charismatic. He was transformative in a Venezuelan context, but none of that you can attribute to, to Maduro, who is, you know, not the brightest uh, individual. Uh, he's uh, he's made a number of like really significant structural errors in a, both a political and an, and an economic context. And actually, the only thing he's done right is when he came in, he gave a lot of the military um, significant positions of of power in his administration, and now. He continues to have their support partly because they know that without him they're going to lose the strength and the, the political power they have, but also that if they lose their positions, it's not just that. Uh, if there's a change in the administration, it also likely means that suddenly there's going to be a whole series of court cases in which they're brought up for abuse of power, for kidnap, for torture, for all manner of things. So there's no incentive whatsoever for the military to to abandon Maduro's side as things stand. Doesn't Maduro, in the end, and I'm sorry to predict the future here, doesn't Maduro end up strung up, like all of them? I mean, potentially, but, you know, if you look at uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria, I mean, how long has this been going on? I, I think we're living in a time, and, you know, if you look at uh, Mugabe in Zimbabwe, I mean, he was there for 20 years, so, I mean, at some point, for sure, it's going to, you know, these things are going to change, but how long is that, is this likely to to take until you get to that point. I mean, are we talking a generation? Are we talking two generations as with as with, with Zimbabwe? I mean, it's, it, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that this isn't going to happen tomorrow, but I don't see anything at the moment on the ground that tells that this, this is going to end anytime soon. Uh, John Bonfiglio, uh, Latin American.